12.09. Happy Thursday, Wisconsin. I do that just to show off and prove that, in fact, I know it's Thursday, which I think is at least an above-average feat this week. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. Oh, don't tell me that that doesn't happen to you. You get this uh, short week to this, that, and the other thing, and you combine with last week and everything going on and... I'm amazed that I know it's Thursday, and besides, I cheated. The clock I have here has the date, month, year. And it's 75 degrees in the studio. Good thing I didn't wear a sweater. Tells me everything, practically. All right, you didn't really care about any of that, but I'm just saying, it's, (laughs) it's hard with these weeks. Thursday, it's Thursday. I haven't messed it up yet. Of course, this is only Tuesday to me, says my point. Because it just started this week at Nevermind. Anyway, a lot of stuff to get to in the show today. Unfortunately, uh, we had mentioned uh, that we were going to have U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. I was informed mid-morning that uh, he is under the weather and unable to join us, which really is a shame. One, we uh, hope he is uh, well soon. But two, so many things to talk about out of Washington, D.C., and get his take on shutdown, of course. Is there, and here's the question I am going to ask in his absence later. Is there an end game? Yesterday, Steve Scafidi took a lot of calls where people just build the wall, build the wall. We support him because we should build the wall. But uh, I don't know that that was even really the question Steve was asking. And it's not the question that I want to ask. How, what does winning look like here for President Trump and Republicans? Because there just doesn't appear to be an end game. It just appears the president got into something with no strategy and getting out of it. Got to get to that a little later. I also want to take up a topic uh, that I know Jeff Wagner has taken up. You know how I know this? Because when I had a radio show north of here, I actually criticized Jeff <laughs> by name for his position on this. So what you hear from me on the topic of pit bulls in the 1 o'clock hour is probably going to sound different than what you would hear from Jeff Wagner were he to take up the topic again. But that's the beauty of guest hosting. Uh, you know, you, you try to protect the host's brand, but opinions are still what they are. So we'll get to that after 1 o'clock. So where are we starting? Great question. Glad you asked it. I know you didn't. Here's where we are starting. I'm in a good mood today. You know what? I think I had a little too much coffee and a little too much chocolate. And I think the caffeine, I think if you listen closely, Kyle, you can pick that up. And probably by about 1 o'clock, it'll wear off and it'll sound like I'm in the mud all of a sudden. Anyway, four years, in fact, to be exact, from 1988 to 2004, I was a resident of Sheboygan County. I worked for the radio stations there. And then uh, my family moved my family to Green Bay in 2004. But from 88 to 04, lived in Sheboygan County, city of Sheboygan. But for purposes of this conversation, Sheboygan County. At some point, and it was after I was married, so it means it was after 1991, and that's about all I remember, these air quality standards started kicking in, and we took we had to have the vehicle emission tests and all of that jazz. And almost since that day to this, there has been a debate, and it's not just Sheboygan County; it's other 
southeast Wisconsin, lakeshore bordering counties, that they get penalized for air, dirty air, that is not theirs. It is interesting the way the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did this story. The headline I find very, very interesting. Group challenges EPA's bid to give pollution break to factory-rich county. They are referring to Sheboygan County. Factory-rich county. Why would the EPA give a break to a county that has all of these factories and is creating all this air pollution? Why would they do that? Why, 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 why? Well, because there's so much more to the story than that. And I continue to think Sheboygan County is being unfairly penalized or potentially would be. And I will get to that. And by the way, this is not exclusive to Sheboygan County. Other counties deal with this. It is a bigger issue, but we are talking about one county here, which we will do in a couple of minutes. 1214 News Radio, WTMJ. 1217 News Radio, WTMJ. So here's the story from JS Online. And again, this is, I would call this, qualifies as a saga. Something Sheboygan County and other southeastern Wisconsin counties have been dealing with for years. Clean air regulation. Here's the, the lead in the JS Online story. Sheboygan County has some of the dirtiest air in Wisconsin. And for years, it has failed to meet federal air pollution standards for smog. All of that is true, but highly misleading. And I'm not suggesting that the paper is intentionally being misleading here. I'm saying that that information, while accurate, is misleading. Now, the U.S. EPA is proposing to give the county a second one-year extension to try to comply with the law and keep emissions down. State regulators appointed by Governor Scott Walker support the move, as do business groups. Without the extension, more costly anti-pollution measures would be required for one of the most manufacturing-intensive counties in Wisconsin. So if I were to stop the story there, what impression with which would I leave you? Yeah, don't even try to diagram that sentence. What impression would you have from what I've read to you so far? That there's all these factories causing massive pollution in Sheboygan County. They can't meet standards. And for whatever reason, Scott Walker and evil business people are giving them a break. Well, fortunately, the story does go on. Because that's not the story. Well, it sure sounded like the story. Yeah, I know it did. But that's not the story. Companies with rising emissions would need to pay for new controls or buy unused pollution credits from others. Don't even get me started on that. Regulators might also need to impose more controls on motorists to keep air clean. But an environmental group, Clean Wisconsin, is challenging the action because of the harmful health impacts of people who breathe polluted air on hot, sunny days. So now, in the middle of a printed page, we get to... The story here. The dispute is the latest involving eastern Wisconsin's smog problems and how best to manage air pollution when it reaches unhealthy levels. Then they refer to the added challenge. 
The added challenge for counties along Lake Michigan, including those in metropolitan Milwaukee, is that much of the dirty air isn't homegrown, but blows in from someplace else. They make it sound as though this is an additional challenge. This, on top of all the horrible factories Sheboygan County has, if that weren't bad enough, then you have this dirty air coming from outside the region. Here's the reality. How much of the dirty air comes from outside the region? 85 to 93 percent of ozone detected by air monitors in Lakeshore counties comes from outside Wisconsin, the DNR said. But then the JS story shifts back to the heavy manufacturing. Highest concentration of manufacturing and boasts the biggest proportion of manufacturing jobs in the state, excluding the rural county of Trempealone Price. I am not saying that none of this air pollution is homegrown in Sheboygan County. But here's the reality. Sheboygan and other southeast Wisconsin lakeshore counties are being held responsible for air, quite honestly, that is not theirs, that migrates north, dirty air, And then you are going to continue and continue and continue to put pressure on manufacturers and motors and so on. uh, Let me give you an example. Here's how it would work. When I was a kid, and I was terrible for this, and it's weird because now I'm I'm kind of terrible with it in reverse as an adult. When I was a kid, my dad would have to bark at me because in the winter I'd leave the door open. And he would say the same thing every time. You're trying to heat up the outside. Well, that is what I was doing. Now, my wife has to scold me because I do the reverse now in the summer when it's 85, 90 degrees. For whatever reason, and we have the AC going in the house, cooling it to, I don't know, we go about 72, 73 degrees, you know, when it's really hot. She has to scold me. You're, You're trying to cool off the outside. This is essentially what's happening here. Let's take the cool the outside. So I have the air conditioning running in my house, and I have the air conditioning running in my house, and I'm trying to keep it at 73 degrees, but it's almost impossible. It is impossible because I have the patio doors open. Why? I don't know because I'm goofy, I guess. I have the patio doors open, and the humid 85, 90-degree weather is coming into the house. Our air conditioning unit is only, it's a central air, it's only about five years old. It's still never going to keep up with cooling the outside. I think this is one of my better analogies, by the way. That's what you have here. These groups that say, no, we've got to clean this up. They are, they are asking Sheboygan County to keep lowering the thermostat, even though the warm air is coming in from the outside. Well, you have to turn it down some more because it's still too warm in here. You have to turn it down some more because it's still too warm. I, well, I can close the patio door, which I really should. Sheboygan County does not have that luxury. We're seeing all of the, this. This has been a problem, and it's creeping up to Manitowoc, Kiwani other counties to the north. And it isn't fair. It simply isn't. Uh, Sheboygan County continues to be punished for pollution generated elsewhere that flows into the county, said Lucas Weber, attorney for the conservative Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Uh, Lucas used to work for another entity, and he's been on this issue for a long time. 
But environmental groups and public health advocates have countered that regardless, people are breathing unhealthy air, regardless, on high ozone days. Susan Hedman, an attorney with Clean Wisconsin, said her organization is challenging the EPA's preliminary decision that gives Sheboygan County an extension to meet the 08 federal ozone standards, in part because even tougher standards kicked in in 2015 and are now being implemented. Hedman says that instead of delay, the EPA should be accelerating efforts to push the county into compliance. If you look at near 90% coming from elsewhere, you could probably, and I'm not saying I know this for a fact, but it's possible, you could shut down every factory in Wisconsin, in Sheboygan County and still not meet this. Because it's just impossible. You're not going to be able to do this. Uh, smog is created when blah, 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 and then they what they get to, and Lucas points this out, there are two monitoring units in Sheboygan County, one at Colorandre Park near the lake. Well, that one's always higher because it's that air, that wind, that, that causes the pollution from the south to migrate. Well, no, don't take that one out. The environmentalists say, we like that one. Well, yeah, because it's near the actual point of pollution. One further inland always has lower readings. Well, why? Why do you think? To put further restrictions on factories and motorists. And by the way, again, this is not a problem unique to Sheboygan County, but that's who we're talking about for the moment makes absolutely no sense. None whatsoever. If you have any thoughts on this, uh, you can certainly chime in. We'll, uh, if we get any calls, I do have some texts that I want to share as well. 414-799-1620. News Radio WTMJ. 1228 News Radio WTMJ. I have a couple of texts I want to share on this. Talking about, look, I'm not saying that we shouldn't deal with air pollution. I'm not saying that. But placebos, if you will, or feel good solutions, such as putting more onerous restrictions on Sheboygan County when the dirty air, for the most part, and I'm not saying that factories in Sheboygan County don't emit a pollution. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I, I just I can't support a false solution. And putting tougher air requirements on Sheboygan County when the bulk of the problem comes from outside Sheboygan County doesn't make sense. From the 262, the air quality in Sheboygan, Manitowoc, Brown, Milwaukee, Racine, and Kenosha goes down when the wind is from the south. I can't say that specifically, if that's accurate, but this part I can. When is the EPA going to admit that our air quality is adversely affected by the steel mills in Gary, Indiana, Chicago in general? Another. Recently I went to Death Valley, California, and it was very noticeable the smog from L.A., and basically says Sheboygan is dealing with the same thing from Chicago and points south. All I'm saying is... Don't pretend. Don't open the patio door and try to cool all the outdoors. Trust me, I know. It simply cannot 
بیدان 1234 News Radio WTMJ. We're going to stay on the topic of Sheboygan County EPA requirements and so on because the person that I quoted from the JS Online story earlier, Lucas Weber from Wisconsin Institute of Law and Liberty, who's been working on this issue for some time, joins us now on the phone. Lucas, good to talk with you. Hey, great to be with you, Jerry. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning. Uh, well, that too. Yeah, you sucked me right into it. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, so let's. All right. I know. You know. We we've covered the the issue here that a large majority of the pollution being measured in Sheboygan County air doesn't come from Sheboygan County. I know you you know that, and you have been on this issue. When we talk about the things that are being pushed back by this extension, how onerous is this on the manufacturers that the Journal Sentinel talks about in Sheboygan County? How big of a deal is it for them to comply? Yeah, so it's, it's a big burden uh, on anybody who's looking to expand a facility or site a new facility in the county. So as part of the uh, air permitting process, if they're in one of these non-attainment zones, they have to face a whole host of uh, draconian regulatory requirements related to offsets, um, you know, reducing more pollution than they're putting into the air. They have to find credits to offset any growth. Uh, it's all incredibly expensive, and it's really unnecessary for Sheboygan. Here's my point. It, look, we all want clean air. I, I, I'm not saying that I necessarily think all air regulations are bad. I think that I, I, that's a naive position. But to fix a problem... Here's the analogy that I used, Lucas. When my wife gets mad at me during the summer when it's 90 degrees out and I leave the patio door open and I continue to try to cool the house, that's not going to happen. I think this is the same thing. I'll, I'll, you know what I mean? If I let the 95-degree humid air in, I'm never going to get the house down to 68, 70 degrees, right? And I think to try to continue to lower the thermostat, if you will, in Sheboygan County, when the dirty air is coming from outside, it's the same principle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and first of all, you're, you're absolutely correct that everybody wants clean air. I mean, I think that's universally accepted. We all agree that we need clean air. It's, it's one of the, it's if, if not the most important thing, it is one of the most important things that we need, right? But the fact is, in Sheboygan County, the air, as monitored by air monitoring stations in the county, is only dirty along a certain, uh, or only not meeting federal standards, I would say, along a certain uh, very narrow threshold right along the coast. Uh, it's not the entire county. And all the air that is registered along the coast is coming from sources outside of Wisconsin, even sources outside of the United States. And that's why, you know, and this came up in the story, and, and you were quoted in the story on this, to remove that Colorandre, essentially, lakeshore monitor, because it's just not an accurate measure because of its location, because it's right near the shoreline, where you've got that air coming up from the south. I, I, it makes I understand why the group quoted wants to keep it there. I get that because it has a higher, less desirable number. But I doesn't logic dictate that's also the less accurate number? Yeah, absolutely. That that monitoring station is located about a hundred yards off the lake uh, shore at Colorado State Park. The second monitor station in Sheboygan County is located about 2.9 miles inland, right in the heart of uh, manufacturing area, in the heart of where people actually live in Sheboygan. Uh, and that shows that the air is attaining those standards, which is important. Um, 
the the air that uh, you know, and, and one of the things that we often hear argued is that we should keep that station there, if not, you know, for people to know what the quality of the air is, and and that's important. Maybe they do keep that station to keep monitoring the air, but you shouldn't use that for regulatory purposes to punish the businesses in Sheboygan County who are not causing that pollution to begin with. That you you summed it up there very well, and so then here's the question, and it, and it is a fair question. What should the EPA be doing regulatory-wise to deal with the real source of the problem? Is there anything they can do? Yeah, I mean, I think EPA uh, could look at the regulatory scheme in the Clean Air Act and the way that they attribute pollution to various sources, and, and they could, uh, for example, that, that Kohler Andre monitor picks up more pollution from Illinois than it does from Wisconsin. Uh, air modeling done by, by the scientists at the Lake Michigan uh, Air Directors Consortium uh, has shown that if they remove all human-caused sources of pollution in Sheboygan County, the level of ozone would actually go up in the county, which is uh, an interesting phenomenon. I mean, these are all things that they can look at to get a better picture of what's going on there and uh, actually hold the real polluters accountable without forcing the people of Sheboygan to bear an unfair cost. I, I want to put a fine point on this and ask you a question because the headline and the story is is okay, but I think it's backloaded with the truth is what I would say. What the Journal Sentinel did, I feel upfront. Even when you look at Lee Berkowitz's story, group challenges EPA's bid to give factory rich Sheboygan County reprieve on air quality. I think that's a loaded headline, and you can say with certainty that those factories are not the principal cause of Sheboygan County exceeding the limits. Yeah, absolutely and unequivocally. Um, as I said, there's a second air monitor in the station that's downwind from, from the sources in Sheboygan County that are actually producing uh, pollution in Sheboygan County, and that monitor shows largely shows attainment with the, with the federal standards. So uh, it's certainly safe to say unequivocally that the sources in Sheboygan County are not causing the pollution at the Kohler Andre monitor in Sheboygan. So, uh, again, bottom line as we wrap up on this, Lucas, what we're saying is don't blame a county because it's convenient that doesn't do anything to fix the problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best way of saying it. We need to go after those who are actually causing it, not unfairly attribute it to people who. Like I said, even if they were to punish them by shutting them all down and putting them out of business, it still wouldn't do any good. <laughs> the pollution's coming from elsewhere. So, All right, Lucas Weber, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. I'm glad you've got my email now, and we can stay in touch. You've got yes, my sir. current email, I've got your current email, and we're all set now. Hey, listen, you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You as well, sir. Thank you. All right, Lucas Weber. We're going to get on to other things in uh, just a couple of minutes here. 1241 News Radio WTMJ. Twelve forty four News Radio WTMJ. I just a huge thanks to Kyle and WTMJ for continuing the Christmas bumpers after Christmas. It is uh, it drives my I won't say it drives my wife crazy, but it's one of her pet peeves. Me too. So this is this does drive her crazy when radio stations start like way early. She likes she's a, a traditionalist. The day after Thanksgiving, that's when she thinks Christmas music should arrive on the radio. But then, and this is where, and I'm okay a little earlier in November. Actually, I don't quite agree with her on that. But here's where I do agree with her. I, we like to see it go through 
December 31st. Just makes, you know, that Christmas week, the week between Christmas and New Year's, most people have off. And when I actually was in control of such things on a handful of radio stations, uh, Green Bay, Sheboygan, and Wausau, I made that call. So we will stay with Christmas bumpers. At least I tried. Actually, no. I, you know what? I don't think I, I need to retract that. I don't think I did win that one. But I think it just Christmas is a season. And you start so early and then whew, cold turkey, dead stop, no more Christmas music. That just seems to be what most stations do. It's still Christmas. I still say Merry Christmas to people. I will say Merry Christmas at least until the new year because it's a season. Anyway, that's the way I look at it. Just one of those little things. I want to keep this brief. It's 1245. I only want to take this, well, 1 o'clock or we'll see, maybe shortly after. It deals with the Packers looking for a new coach. They are limited right now in whom they can talk, with whom they can talk, because they can't talk to coaches right now that are still employed with other NFL teams, and some attractive assistant coaches may be in the playoffs, and then you wouldn't be able to talk to them for some time and so on. So they're talking to people they can talk with right now, and that just happens to be two former Colts coaches, Chuck Pagano and Jim Caldwell, Neither are employed right now in the NFL, and it it is being reported and confirmed by various outlets that the Packers, in fact, have spoken with both. I don't know if they are serious contenders. No way of knowing. What we do know is the Packers can talk to them right now. So they certainly, with their resumes, they would be candidates. That makes sense. Because you're hearing reported that they're being spoken with doesn't mean that they're top candidates. There, There are two people, the Packers, if they were... If they were the answer to a Jeopardy question, it would go like this. Who are two people the Packers can talk with right now? It's these guys. That's not to say they don't have good credentials. Just don't know. But here's the topic that I find interesting. First, Aaron Rodgers and now Devontae Adams are expressing their preference for Joe Philbin to lose the interim title and be made the head coach. I just want to throw the phones open up on this quickly. As I said, my goal will be to be done with this by 1 o'clock. But if people are interested in this, we can go a little longer than that. I have two points on this to which I would like you to respond. One, what do you think of the notion of players influencing the decision this way? Or as I put it, the employees choosing the boss. Because ultimately that's what it comes down to. Historically, I think companies have gotten nervous about the concept of employees. Well, we really want this person. Well, sometimes it's because they are what you call a player's coach, whether you're talking about football or not. In other words, employee-friendly. When And when you look at Aaron Rodgers, and obviously there was conflict with he and Mike McCarthy, should that give management further pause when Aaron Rodgers well, I really want Joe I like Joe and I think it should be John I think it should be Joe I like the way Devontae Adams said it I don't know if he's the best guy for the job but I know I would like him to be coach there's a huge degree of honesty in that 
When you look at Philbin's track record as a head coach in the NFL, it's not a stellar resume. He has a long relationship with the Packers organization. Here's my take on it. And as I said, we'll throw this open. If we get some calls on this, we'll take them. Otherwise, we will prepare for the next topic because we're always ready with something new. From the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Do, do you think the players expressing support for Philbin should help or hurt his chances? And do you think that we've seen enough or know enough of him that he should have an inside track He's 2-1. and one. He could end his four-game stint 3-1. and one. I will give you my answers. I don't think players should pick the next coach, and I doubt that Joe Philbin is going to be the best coach available. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be a contender. I doubt he's going to be the best coach available. That's my take. If you want to get in, I'd like you to get in very quickly on this. 414-799-1620-1250, News Radio WTMJ. 1252 News Radio WTMJ. By the way, several texts agreeing with me on Christmas bumpers through the new year, at least. I am not alone. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams have said they would like to see Joe Philbin stay on as coach. I have a couple of questions. You can take a swing at either one. Should that help or hurt him when the employees want someone as the boss? Is that a good or a bad thing? And do you think Philbin should get the job? To Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, hi, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I personally don't think that at the moment he is the best guy for the job, Philbin, that is, because they haven't had a chance to get through the whole list of candidates at the end of the year and vet everybody. Um, you know, I think that they should let him go back to his role as offensive coordinator after they hire somebody and, and maybe talk to a new guy and say, hey, you know, if obviously the uh, offensive players are the ones that are stepping up and they're the ones that like him, they're probably the ones that really want him around more than anyone else. Um, but I don't think that he should just get the job just because he's in favor with the players. I mean, uh, right now the Packers are at a really crucial moment of, uh, of, of, of Rogers' career and to just kind of go with, you know, uh, they're hard on something like that rather than really go through the line of candidates and find the best person for the job, which even Devontae Adams said he didn't know for sure if Philbin was. Yeah. Um, I think they really need to go through that list first. And then if they decide, you know what, we've gone through everybody and Philbin's the guy, then, then so be it. But personally, I just think that, that he's not the one. I think Caldwell was interviewed. Uh, there is a rule that they have to interview minority coaches as well, just to make sure they kind of check everybody out. So he kind of filled that bill. Uh, I don't know if he's the best guy either, but there's just the way. Eddie, Eddie, let, let me, let me, Eddie, let me ask you this. So, but you know, there, there's obviously conflict between McCarthy and Rogers. Doesn't it set up the Packers where they're going to have an unhappy quarterback again now if he potentially doesn't get his way? That's the problem I have with him piping up. I think. I think. It's potential, but I think uh, if Philbin is kept on, I mean, it's obvious that that relationship between Rodgers and Philbin is, is, is strong. And I think if he's kept on and he's not wiped out with the rest of the coaches, like typically what happens with a coach when he comes in, I think that would be kind of making uh, amends, you know, kind of saying, look, you know, we're, we're going to kind of give you a bone here. 
we're going to keep building on. And, you know, this is your guy. He's, you know, he's pretty much Rodgers' coach when he's the offensive coordinator. And uh, But I just think that the, the, the mindset of the league right now is so offensive-minded and how everybody's going towards these younger, offensive-minded head coaches. And I don't know if Philbin has that kind of creativity to compete uh, in a whole year. You know, um, right now they're playing, you know, the bottom of the barrel between, you know, with the Lions and, yeah. and you know, it, it hasn't been Jets and marquee yeah. teams that they're going to end up facing next year. And they didn't do so well against Chicago. So I don't know. He, he hasn't really proved to me that he can do it with what he did in Miami. I think he's a great offensive coordinator. Uh, but I think we need to get somebody else in there that we know for sure um, we're going to stick with and that, that is, is the best. Right, Eddie, i got to let you run. got to let you run. I, I need to let someone else weigh in. Bill in Illinois. Bill, go ahead. Hey, Derek, how you doing? Um, I, my personal feeling, I, although I live in Illinois and uh, work out, out in Wisconsin and been a uh, huge uh, Packer fan since I was a kid, um, I say uh, the Packers need to keep their options open. Well, wait until uh, there's more coaches out there in the market. Um, and I don't agree that the player should be picking the coach or the boss. Bill, thanks a lot for the call. In fact, what Bill told Kyle was that he didn't think Philbin should get the job just because players have, a, have an expressed a, fa- a favorable opinion of him. This is where I think there's a real problem. And unfortunately, it leads you to question the motives of Aaron Rodgers. There is no secret that Mike McCarthy is out, at least in part, whether it's small or large part, hard to say, that clearly the relationship that he had with Aaron Rodgers became irretrievably broken. That, that's just obvious. So now, knowing that, and the Packers organization knows that, Right. Is Rodgers, does Rodgers, let me put it this way, does Rodgers intentionally or unintentionally put them over a barrel? All right, now we, we, can, we saw what happened when Aaron doesn't have good vibes with the coach anymore. Now he says he wants Joe. That consciously or subconsciously, I think now that process begins. And I think that, that I think, slow down, Jerry, I think that is unhealthy. Got a few texts on this. The real problem with the Packers is upper management. The buck stops at Murphy's door, that's Mark Murphy, and he needs to go. You can't replace Ted Thompson and yet still have him in the draft room. I I don't know that I agree that Mark Murphy is the problem. I think Ted Thompson had in part become the problem, and I was a Thompson defender for a long time. But I do think it reached a point where I, just, I, I don't really know what happened with him. And then uh, players shouldn't pick coaches. That's a bad business model. They are hard to play, not run a team. Really hard to disagree with that. Coming up after 1 o'clock, this has been a topic. It's almost like the greatest hits of talk radio. Pitbull regulations and ordinances. Is it fair to label all pitbull dogs as vicious dogs without inspecting an individual dog. It's happening in Wisconsin. We'll get to it after the news. 1259 News Radio WTMJ. One oh nine 
Hour two of the Jeff Wagnerless show. Jerry Bader sitting in. Jeff gone for the rest of the year. Well, it really depends what month you say that and have any real impact, doesn't it? Even the beginning of December would have more impact. Anyway, uh, Jeff uh, taking the last couple of weeks of the year off, actually, and uh, to my benefit gives me the opportunity to spend some time on WTMJ, which is an honor indeed. This, speaking of Mr. Wagner, I know this is a topic that he has taken up in the past, and we're going to get to it in just a minute. But I want to spend about 30 yeah, minutes. It's 1.09 and 46 seconds. I want to spend a minute, maybe a minute and a half on this. It's a topic that Steve Scafidi took up, and Steve is absolutely right about this. The future is at least the debate over the legalization of marijuana in Wisconsin and other states in America. And he took what I thought were some really interesting calls on what people felt. And, of course, there are two issues there, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. I have never been shy in my years on radio and admitting that as a young man, unlike Bill Clinton, I inhaled. Well, Bill Clinton inhaled, too. Unlike Bill Clinton, I admit, I inhaled. I... I am so conflicted on that issue because I have a nasty libertarian streak. Despite being a conservative, I have a very libertarian streak. And I tend to, you know, it's what the person wants to do. You can smoke cigarettes, you can drink alcohol, why not smoke marijuana? Boy, I, I tell you, I, I just, I, I think it is an insidious drug that you really don't realize how much it impacts you overall not just when you're high in the moment and there's part of me well that's okay people should be allowed to mess themselves up that way but aren't the guardrails of laws there to keep order in society as well and i really do think it caught i just eh. i am very conflicted on that i do agree with the legalization of medical marijuana that i do agree with I know I've opened, I reopened an issue, and well, are you going to take calls on that now? That's not the plan right now. We could, we'll see. Steve just did it today. Uh, potentially, we could do it tomorrow. We'll see. But I want to get to a different topic here. As I said, this is a topic I know Jeff has discussed several times in the past. Not just a breed issue, Wrightstown. You may not know where Wrightstown is. Wrightstown is in southern Brown County. As you're heading up Highway 41, I-41 these days, toward Green Bay, Wrightstown is, there's Wrightstown, Greenleaf, southern Brown County. After Andrew and Mara Wellens brought their twins home from the hospital, their dog, Kenna, began sleeping by the children's cribs. The four-year-old dog has been labeled a pit bull mix by a veterinarian. She's great with everyone, Andrew Wellen said. She's phenomenal with our kids, he said. But three years after Kenna was first registered in Wrightstown, well, I'm sorry, I was mispronouncing the name, Wellnets received a letter from the village of Wrightstown instructing the family to comply with its vicious dog ordinance, all because Kenna is part pit bull. And now the families among residents who are pushing back against the policy, they argue, is outdated and discriminatory. 
This uh, came up at a village board meeting earlier this month. Breed-specific legislation, writes the Green Bay Press-Gazette, is simply discrimination that has not been proven effective, Mara Wellnets told the village board two weeks ago. Actually, a week ago, I'm sorry. Wrightstown's ordinance defines vicious dogs, and here's the definition. As those with a propensity to attack or endanger a person or domestic animal, as well as any dog owned for dog fighting purposes. But Wrightstown's policy goes one step further, labeling any pit bull dog, any pit bull dog as a dangerous animal. Per village rules, code, blah, 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 vicious dogs must be muzzled and kept on a four-foot leash when they're outside. Pens or kennels holding the dog must be secured with a key or combination lock. If the dog is home, it isn't allowed on a porch or patio. And the house's windows must be closed. Owners are required to carry a $50,000 liability insurance policy and must display a beware of dog sign on their property. According to Village Clerk and Treasurer Michelle Seidel, there are 10 registered pit bull owners in Wrightstown. Animal rights activists and others divided over policies that single out particular breeds, often pit bulls. Proponents of these laws point to the severity of their bites and contend they are more dangerous. And then there's a website that says pit bulls were responsible for nearly 66% of fatal dog attacks from 2005 to 2017. But the American Veterinary Medical Association notes that any dog, regardless of breed, is capable of biting. Data that attempt to quantify the bite rate for a specific breed are often unreliable, the organization says. And again, this is a pit bull mix. I happen to be very familiar with a dog that is defined as a pit bull mix, a terrier black lab mix, one of the nicest, sweetest, most wonderful dogs you will ever meet. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's fair to the owners, or the dog, obviously, but to owners, to label a dog as vicious based exclusively on its breed, even just because it is part pit bull. I think a vicious dog designation should be the result of identified behavior. And I just don't, I don't agree with this. And I understand the concerns. I, some people think there should just be out-and-out bans on owning pit bulls. I haven't made up my mind if perception is reality because any time a pit bull attacks, you hear about it, and I'm not so sure that's true otherwise. But without getting into that, I think there's just a general unfairness to these types of ordinances, and I would like your thoughts on that. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. 116 News Radio, WTMJ. Watch it, Kyle. This song's on the naughty list, too, now. Did you know that? This one is controversial. Yeah. I kid you not. <sighs> no, you can keep playing it. It's fine. <laughs> Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner, News Radio, WTMJ, 119. But like your thoughts on this, 414-799-1620. The village of Wrightstown in southern Brown County, uh, hearing from... Owners of a dog, it's a pit bull mix. I, just, I, I think this just paints with such a broad brush 
that by its virtue of its breed, a dog gets labeled vicious. I don't, and then it gets treated as though we know it's going to commit a violent attack. And, and to have a situation where a dog is part pit bull and be included in that, I, I just really, really have an issue with that. I, I just, I, I think it's a matter of fairness. I will tell you, pit bull black lab mixes are, I am told, a very popular mix. A friend of the show, Tim, writes, I own a pit bull. They are a loyal animal but are only vicious when not trained right. What do you think to Tom in Sheboygan? Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. I, so I've, for 24 years, I've had pit bulls. And um, I have had a couple. I've had six dogs. I've had a couple that have been very good their whole lives. And I've had one that was unbelievably uncontrollable as she got older. And I, I couldn't believe it. She she sat with me, slept with me. She was, I had her hand trained. I could walk a block away, and only with hand motions I could get her to do things. When my 16-year-old son was born, she would stand her ground against a crawling baby, and that terrified us. Um, it didn't scare us to the point where we decided to change breeds because these are the breeds that we love. But I do agree that we take our dogs to the vet on a regular basis, and I believe that a vet should assess certain types of breeds that are more aggressive and pit bulls are more aggressive there's no doubt about it and there's many different groups or types of pit bull there's a lot in the family um these dogs initially were bred in the 1500s i know a lot about them they were bred for fighting for fighting game dogs and it's hard to get that out of them and it's it's, i mean if you got a showman dog or a bird dog the reason you buy a bird dog for bird hunting. If you buy a show a show dog, the reason is because it's got good posture and good behavior. You buy a pit bull, I guarantee you, guaranteed at least at least 75% of them, you're going to have some type of issue out of them. And that should be assessed by a professional, not by the person that thinks they know everything and goes out and buys one. And I see so many young people walking these big, massive, strong dogs down the sidewalk. And that dog gets away from them, what's it going to do? I've been bitten. My son's been bitten by great, well-trained dogs. So I think they should all be assessed. Every one of them. Every one of them. Do you? All right. So you you believe pit bulls inherently at some point they're a time bomb that's going to go off? Is that what that what I'm hearing? I don't. I'm not saying that they're a time bomb going to go off. What I'm saying is they were originally bred for fighting. It's instinctively in them to guard their ground. To protect something and that's why everybody that owns one says and there's gonna be callers that call in and say oh i disagree with tom he's an idiot he doesn't know what he's talking about i've had the dogs for 24 years the the thing about it is my dog somebody comes in my house and a horse plays with me guess what my dog's gonna do it's gonna defend me i have friends that have dobermans those dogs don't do it they just look and they they're like in a la la land they, they have no idea what's going on with horse play i know i've got a friend that has a lab that, that it's a golden, it's a beautiful dog. And if you mess with Mark, his dog will protect him. I get it. All There's a whole bunch of breeds that will protect their master. But pit bulls, they are vicious. They're strong. They're fast. They're, they, once they bite, I mean, I had, I had almost 40 stitches in my hand from my own dog. I had to put that dog down. So 
and that was hor- horrible. I cried. I my dog is in an urn. I keep it in my bedroom. I'll never let Brandy go. She'll always be there with me. But she did a horrible thing that I could not let happen to somebody else. I'm a big strong guy. I couldn't get the dog. Tom, off. I all right, Tom, i got to let you go there. We're, we're uh, running tight on time. Great call. We're going to build on that call in just a minute. 414-799-1620 at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 124 News Radio WTMJ. One twenty-six News Radio WTMJ. A bunch of texts on this topic, and we could take calls uh, after the after the uh, news. Let me see. Uh, let me get back up to the top of the texts here. Uh, pits are this generation's attack dog. Pit bulls, what we're talking about. German shepherds, Dobermans, Rottweilers have all been discriminated against at one time or another. Every dog is as vicious or gentle as they are trained to be. This is the problem of dogs aren't treated the way you want to be treated. They will be bad. They need uh, love and respect. I don't care what the breed is. The only way my pit bull is vicious, writes another, is if you are allergic to dog spit from all the licking. My friend's lab is way more mean than my pit bull. Another one. Hello. Today's pit bull is a descendant of the original English bull-baiting dog, a dog that was bred to bite and hold bulls, bears, and other large animals around the face and head. What we are discussing specifically here is an ordinance in the village of Wrightstown in southern Brown County where a pit bull is automatically declared a vicious dog, and then the owner has to deal with all of the regulations that come with that, including 50, carry $50,000 in liability insurance, rules about what the dog can and cannot do. I am not denying that the pit bull breed, I get the bloodline, and I understand that. I also, you know, we heard a call from a pit bull owner who said, you know, they can, in fact, what you hear is true, that they can be great and great and great for years, and then something can simply set them off. And then you will hear from pit bull owners who say, that's not true. As he said, Tom, I think it was Tom in Sheboygan, said, yeah, now you're going to get a bunch of calls saying Tom's an idiot, Tom doesn't know what he's talking about, I'm not going to say that. Tom sounded pretty knowledgeable to me. But I do know that there is debate and dispute, even among pit bull owners, in terms of whether as a species, or a a breed, I'm sorry, not a species, a breed, should they be deemed just vicious because of what they are. And specifically the problem that I have here is the Wrightstown Ordinance, even a mix. I, I have experience with a pit bull black lab mix. And that I'm told I have experience because I've taken one for a walk. More than once. And I've had people immediately identify it as a pit bull black lab mix and say I've been told it's a very, very, very popular breed. And they generally, because of the mix, are very, 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 very friendly dogs. I don't think it's fair to a dog owner to have their dog branded that way based on what a veterinarian writes on a piece of paper. Got a couple more texts on this, or at least one, and we can take calls uh, for a few more minutes after the news. See you. 
134 News Radio WTMJ. Final swing at this if you want to get in, 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I see I think it's really a very difficult topic. Because and now we're getting <laughs> we're getting texts. Kyle, are you seeing these pictures? These dog pictures we're getting on the talk and text line. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Well, yeah, pit bulls can be as adorable as any other dog in the world. Uh, this is our little pity. She's the most beautiful, loving dog ever. She's gorgeous. Um, dogs should be judged like people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, I'm not going to invoke Dr. King here, but I do get the point. Any, yeah, it's true. Any dog can be vicious. And I, I suspected this was going to be the case. Let's see. We have um, some texts on this. Uh, oh, I just want to make sure that we um, don't duplicate any here. Uh, Jerry, pits are no meaner than any other dog, but even some pit owners will disagree with that. My son, uh, my son's dog gives nothing but kisses, but they are stronger than most breeds and can do more damage so easily. I understand the ordinances and extra insurance; these were put in place as a response to some bad attacks. Uh, Leanne and Racine, Leanne, the problem that I have with that is the one size fits all, and especially, apparently, at least if Gannett has their story right, and I have no reason to believe they don't, is Pitbull even mix? And I just, boy, you get to that point, and any dog could have some terrier bull terrier in it that but somehow fit that definition. I have an issue with that. I think if a dog is going to be deemed vicious, it has to be based on track record or some evidence that that specific animal has a reason to be vicious or you know be suspected of being vicious. I just I that that's my take on that. Uh let's see. This is Peter from the South Side. You know, pit bulls are not the most dangerous breed out there, believe it or not. He says the most dangerous breed is Chow Chow. They are so territorial, uh, you can't go next to somebody that owns a child without them growling and biting at you. And that comes from firsthand experience. My mother owned one. The neighbor came over. She started screaming, and she raised her hand, and my mom's dog tore her apart. 147 stitches later, she tried to sue us. And lost, it's how you raise your animal. I love my lab, a pit retriever mix, three months old. I love them to death. See, that's especially the mix thing is where I, I just get really apprehensive and nervous about this. But again, I understand, I, you know, I understand that where some concern comes from. I, I do. You know, you do have so many attacks. Again, there's a lot of debate over whether the statistics are truly accurate, though. And I, I don't know. All right, I'll tell you what. I'm going to be generous as it is the holiday season. If you want to call on this, like right here, right now, this is going once, going twice, sold. 
because I have to make a decision here whether we move on to something else. So this is your last chance. 414-799-1620. If you want to weigh in on this, as I said, I'm in the charitable giving Christmas spirit. So we'll hold this for another minute or two. Uh, If you are talking to Kyle and you do indeed want to come on the air, I'll get you on, but you've got to do it like right here, right now. 414-799-1620. Nope, we're moving on. Kyle says, never mind. The guy doesn't want to talk. Let's move on. Fine, I could take a hint. You don't have to drop a house on me. All right, we're moving on. We're going to get to Beto versus Bernie straight ahead. 140 News Radio WTMJ. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. 142 News Radio WTMJ. So there's a knife fight going on on Twitter. That's not my words. Others have described it that way. A knife fight going on between two factions of the liberal movement. This is a fascinating story. It it really is. Now, first, here we are, uh, the closing days of December 2018, the closing days of 2018, December 27th. And let's just be real. Presidential politics is coming to the forefront. The R coming to the forefront. It's just a reality. You are going to buy, oh gosh, Uh, when are you going to start seeing people on the Democratic side officially jump into the fray? Oh, by March, I would think we would have at least two or three, right? I think think next month. I, I would think, I'm just trying to, history, just trying to look at recent history. But I would certainly think the first quarter of, of 2019, you will have, I would just be shocked if you don't have two or three, not like the state senator that's already in or whatever his name is, but legitimate contenders, whatever that looks like, I don't even know, I would think by, by the first quarter. So it's not surprising that this, again, not my words, knife fight has broken out on Twitter between forces loyal, as NBC News puts it, forces loyal to Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who are waging an increasingly public war against Texas Representative Beto O'Rourke, the new darling of Democratic activists, as the two men weigh whether to seek the party's presidential nomination in 2020. This is what's really interesting. Most conservative estimates, that is, estimates by conservative commentators and observers, say O'Rourke is pretty liberal, that he's pretty far left. Now, he came very close. He was very competitive in the Texas Senate race with Ted Cruz. There are a lot of wonderings why that happened. You had the suburban issue for Republicans that President Trump presented in other states. You had that. But O'Rourke is a dynamic young guy, and he, now Cruz was considered formidable. Cruz, of course, has had his own issues in recent years. And O'Rourke is now, he is without question a darling, a darling of the left. But here's the problem. So Bernie Sanders supporters, look, they feel gypped. And by the way, they should feel gypped. Because they was robbed. They, they, I mean, that's, that's not conservative mantra. 
Bernie Sanders was robbed. The thumb was on the scale for Hillary Clinton. There is no denying that. So they probably, a, a lot of his diehard supporters, Bernie Sanders' diehard supporters, felt, hey, this is Bernie's turn. It's his turn, man. He got ripped off. He got he got robbed. And but he he did. There's no disputing that. So anyone that comes along that looks like they could mess with what they now think should be the Bernie Sanders coronation, eh, that that's not going to go well with them. But there are those who are trying to be the cooler heads prevailing within the Democratic, the liberal movement, and saying, knock it off! And this, I think, is the recipe for a second term for Donald Trump. Let me read a bit more from the NBC News. Again, the main line of attack against O'Rourke is he's not progressive enough, that he's been too close to Republicans in Congress, too close to corporate donors, and not willing enough to use his star power to help fellow Democrats. And it is being pushed almost exclusively by Sanders supporters online and in print. The first flashpoint in what promises to be a politically bloody primary. One that has drawn responses from foot soldiers in the Obama and Clinton wings of the party. As Democrats begin to focus on who has the best chance to deny President Donald Trump a second term in the Oval Office. Then they quote one Namiki Kantz, the progressive activist and a 26 Sanders supporter, who is now running for public advocate in New York City, said liberal activists mostly kept quiet about their concerns over O'Rourke's record, including the backing he got from the centrist Blue Dog Democrats before he lost the Texas Senate race to Cruz. So in other words, hey, we're, we're not going to diss the guy when we think he can take out Ted Cruz. A D is a D is a D is a D. For further clarification, see Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp. I don't, uh, see, this is where I disagree, though. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I do not put O'Rourke in, in the Heitkamp-Manchin mold. I think there are mild degrees of differences here in terms of how far to the left O'Rourke is. And I'll tell you what, Bernie supporters... Who now I will say this. I said this is this type of device and this is a recipe for them getting Trump reelected. I will say this though. They could so Sanders supporters could unintentionally do O'Rourke a favor by painting him as this blue dogish conservative center left guy. That could serve him, in fact, very, very well. Because, i, I got to tell you, Bernie Sanders, even as extreme as he is to the left, I think he likely would have had a better chance than Hillary Clinton just because he didn't have the baggage. He was a virtual unknown. At the first poll, he had like 3% against her. So you have the situation is, uh, is brewing. They sucked it up while he was running because they wanted him to win, she said. But now it's a different story. The biggest difference may be that O'Rourke is now a threat to Sanders in the 2020 primary. Though neither man has announced O'Rourke captured the hearts and dollars, and, and indeed he did, there is no doubt that he is seen as a contender in, in 2020. 
What you have, though, is the Sandernistas who, and by the way, I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just, it's, I don't, I, I don't want to compare them to Sandernistas. That's not what I'm doing. I'll say Sanders supporters. Let's keep this neutral. Sanders supporters, uh, I don't think they would care if O'Rourke is every bit as liberal as Bernie Sanders. And I'm not saying he is. He may be just to the right of him a little bit. But this is personal. This is, no, we're not, get, we're not getting robbed again. Bernie should have won last time. And I'm telling you, Bernie Sanders should have won the Democratic primary last time. So you have this emotionalism from Sanders supporters. Hey, 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 hey. No, no, not again. It's not going to happen again. Well, it might. And there are a whole lot of other names. I mean, this is not going to be a two-person race. I, I probably could name, if I stretched, upwards of a half a dozen additional names. Now, all of this, of course, will be exacerbated by what may happen in terms of investigations of Donald Trump, how truly vulnerable he appears, does he seek re-election? Are Democrats more successful than that before then? But this little civil war on the social media gives you a taste of where Democrats are headed in 2020. 150 News Radio WTMJ. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. 153, Jerry in for Jeff. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I want to mention this one quickly because I teased it. So I want to get to it. I actually teased it, I believe, yesterday. It's a leftover. Not going to get to it in any great length today, but I just want to share it. Because my opinion on this just keeps shifting all over the place. Maybe we'll take calls on it tomorrow. I think it was the New York Times from whence this came. Yeah, it was New York Times. There's another one of those stories. They have come to be called Living While Black. There's another one, and now, we, of course, it has become social media's solemn duty to nickname the white person who seems to be engaging in racist behavior. This time, it's Hallway Harry. The unidentified man has been named on social media, like Barbecue Becky and Permit Patty, and Cornerstone Caroline, and all you know, on and on and on. In this case, similar situation, he confronted 29-year-old Chica Okafar, and my apologies if I'm butchering that name, was waiting in the lobby of his apartment building last Wednesday for a lift to take him to his company's holiday party, but as Mr. Okafor and a friend, also black, stood in the lobby, the unidentified white man berated them. They caught the whole thing on video. And 1.4 million views later, here we are talking about another one of these. Now, I do want to say, about an hour after this thing, he did the same thing to a white couple. So it's entirely possible this guy's just a jerk, and he doesn't discriminate with whom he's a jerk. He's just a jerk, or he behaves like a jerk. I try to refrain from name-calling these days, but he certainly behaves like a jerk. That said, here's what I've asked, or here's what I have said about these stories. Sometimes I feel like I've come out of a 20-year coma, and suddenly all sorts of white people have an irrational fear of black people. 
African Americans may in fact tell you that, look, we've lived with this all the time. This is what we've been talking about. But now we can capture it on video, and that's why it's in the public psyche. I, 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 I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that this has been something that African Americans, people of color, have put up with for a long time, but they can now document it with video so it becomes more in the public psyche. I I think that makes perfect sense. (sighs) On the other hand, though, I can't help but think that there are people who, it just, I, I, let me put it this way. Even if I harbored some of the racist attitudes that I've seen on those videos, even if I felt that way, and I can't imagine feeling that way, but even if I did, I can't imagine acting out the way they do. There does seem to be less shame among bigots and racists when it comes to showing their bigotry and racism. That They just seem less inhibited. Again, I, I may be mistaken about that, and it just could be the advent of video, but let's be honest, though. Video cameras have been around on phones for how long now? I, are we at 10 years yet? I, could it be longer than that? I don't know. It does seem that in the last couple of years, we are seeing these more and more and more. So I, what I find, I don't know if I would say interesting, I think important about this topic, is this a growing trend? Or is this something that people of color have been tolerating for a long time? And with video cameras, they don't have to anymore. And this guy, I mean this guy, if you watch the video, wow. And at one point he says, I don't give a bleep about bleeping YouTube. You go ahead. Well, sir, they did. And you now live in infamy. Which is my other thought on this. People must know this by now, right? People who act out this bigotry and racism, they, uh, when the camera comes out, what do you think happens next? And yet they do persist, and they persist, and they persist. This guy did. The, the lady, and I think that was a, a New York apartment building as well, wasn't it? Where she didn't let the guy in, and then she followed him to his door and the whole nine yards. And then she called 911 after that, if I'm recalling correctly. Just the the brazenness of this, even knowing that it's being recorded. I, I I leave it to you to ponder, because I just don't know. If it's growing, or if we're just revealing the problem more, don't know. All right, so in the next hour, and uh, we had some shuffling in the show today. In the next hour, we're going to cover a lot of ground, a lot of it related to President Trump. And there will probably be something for everyone to agree and disagree with. There are a lot of things out there. There are a lot of things to talk about. I am going to focus on the complete and absolute falsehood that he told members of the military yesterday. It's it's not true. And the one thing I don't do is allow people to live in alternate, or I'm not going to join people in an alternate reality in a fantasy world. What he said is completely and totally false. But it comes with a yabut. 159 News Radio WTMJ.
Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Wisconsin. 209. Final hour. Jerry Bader in for Jeff Wagner. One more day tomorrow. Well, this week. And then I keep forgetting. That's actually not true. New Year's Eve as well. Jeff is going through the end of 2018. All right. So here's what a lot of this hour is going to look like. We're going to talk about a lot of things. We're going to talk about the shutdown. We're going to talk about the stock market. We're going to talk about the visit, the surprise visit to troops in Iraq. We're going to talk about all of that. Here is my general theme, though, is reality. Reality. Whenever I discuss the president, what I say is reality. I'm not going to call him names. I'm not even going to to call him a liar. I'm not going to do anything personal, personally engaging, addressing the president. What I'm going to talk about is facts. Now, where I want to start here is the Wall Street Journal, their opinion page. And the Wall Street Journal opinion page is generally protective of President Trump, but they too have their moments where they call him out. They have great consternation. The editorial board of the Wall Street Journal has great consternation with the Washington Post. And the Washington Post does see its role as, as being the newspaper that will be extremely critical of President Trump, maybe, maybe even more so than the New York Times and some other liberal outlets or left-leaning outlets. The constant spin zone, writes the Wall Street Journal. President Trump and his wife Melania made a surprise visit to American soldiers in Iraq on Wednesday, and you would think that would be a straightforward event to write up. Report how and when he arrived, whom he visited, and what he and some of the soldiers said. These holiday trips have become a ritual for presidents, and the troops appreciate the commander-in-chief's delay of support. Yet, here are the first two paragraphs of the news dispatch on the Trump visit that the Washington Post published on its website Wednesday afternoon, Washington time. President Trump touched down Wednesday in Iraq in his first visit to a conflict zone as commander-in-chief a week after announcing a victory over the Islamic State that his own Pentagon and State Department days earlier said remained incomplete. The president's visit to Al-Assad Air Base, Al-Assad Air Base, west of Baghdad, which was shrouded in secrecy, follows months of public pressure for him to spend time with troops deployed to conflicts in the Middle East and punctuates the biggest week of turmoil the Pentagon has faced during his presidency. Then the Wall Street Journal goes on. We'll admit we stopped reading there, so perhaps there was actual news later in the story. But can anyone reading those opening two sentences wonder why millions of Americans believe Donald Trump when he tells them that he can't get a fair shake from the press? These reporters can't even begin a news account of a presidential visit to a military base without working in a compilation of Mr. Trump's controversies, contradictions, and failings. The point isn't to feel sorry for Mr. Trump, they write, whose rhetorical attacks on the press have often been contemptible. The point is that such gratuitously negative reporting undermines the credibility of a press without Mr. Trump having to say a word. I agree with most of that. I think that he has been under pressure for not visiting a war zone, a combat zone. I I think that is newsworthy, not maybe in the second paragraph. But I, I, think it, I think that does belong in the story. And I said that yesterday, when the news was breaking, I literally 
WTMJ broke into uh, my doing the show to report that, and I, I, I said at the time, yeah, I know he's going to be called out for not doing it earlier, but it, it should be reported that he's doing it now. That's what I said. So I agree with the Wall Street Journal about, you know, talking about Islamics to ISIS and, and all of that. Report what's going on. Because it becomes opinion journalism otherwise. I absolutely agree with that assessment by the Wall Street Journal opinion page. What Where I disagree is, at some point in the story, I think that he has been criticized for not doing it sooner. I think that is a relevant, newsworthy part of the story. The rest, I agree. So there's that. Now, that's not fake news. All of that is true. All of that reporting is true. It's not fake news. But those accounts included early, so early in the lead virtually, they are gratuitous. And I do agree with that. And they're absolutely right. It is what makes Trump's over-the-top criticism of the media, and he most often is over-the-top in his criticism of the media. But that doesn't mean that they don't deserve some criticism. That, that is, that's the problem. So you have that, though, and then you have this. While he was in Iraq, he brought another round of controversy, writes the Military Times, surrounding the White House's claims about military pay, as the Commander-in-Chief, again, incorrectly claimed he provided troops with their first raise in more than a decade. You haven't gotten one in more than 10 years. More than 10 years, he told the applauding service members at El Assad Air Base, and, and we got you a big one. I got you a big one. Trump has repeatedly claimed that troops hadn't has been seen a pay raise, uh, hadn't, during President Barack Obama's time in the White House. In fact, troops have seen a pay raise of at least 1% every year for more than 30 years. Sometimes they, in fact, have been meager. The president also appeared to claim the troops will see a 10% pay raise in 2019. The actual rate is 2.6%. People said, we can make it 3%. We can make it 2%. We can make it 4%. He told the troops, I said, no, make it 10%. Make it more than 10%. Because it's been a long time. It's been more than 10 years. That's a long time. Now, he didn't say it was 10%. He said he wanted it to be more than 10%, which is also in dispute. But anyway, they, the first year he was in office, military personnel got 2.4%. That was the largest in eight years, but followed a federal formula matching the expected rise in civilian sector wages that year. This year, it, for 2019, it is 2.6%. In some cases over the last decade, the annual military pay hikes have been lower than those comparable salaries, leading to a gap in wages of troops and their non-military peers. But military pay has increased every year, dating back to the early days of President Ronald Reagan's administration. So if President Trump says, military, if he tells military personnel, I have gotten you your first raise in a decade, that is false. It's demonstrably false. It's not a matter of opinion. If he is saying, now he did say that, so that is false. If he's saying he got them a 10% raise, and he was more ambiguous on that point, that, too, is false. Demonstrably false. Very false. It's 2.6%. But again, he didn't exactly say that. 
But the 10-year thing, that's false. If he is claiming he got them a 10% raise, that is false. And there are those, well, if you're, you're supposed to be a conservative, why do you feel the need to point those out? Because I think conservatives have no credibility if for decades we have been criticizing Democratic presidents when they didn't tell the truth, but now it's okay if a Republican president tells the truth or doesn't tell the truth. That's all. It's just really that simple. The truth is the truth, and everybody should tell the truth. No, politicians don't always tell the truth. When they don't tell the truth, they should be called out on it, and not just by the opposition. The frustrating thing for conservatives is the media, and this is fair to say, that the mainstream media makes a much bigger deal of untruths from Republicans than they do Democrats. That's true. So a lot of conservatives feel the conservative talk radio response should be to do the same thing the mainstream media did. Downplay the lies from people on quote-unquote our side. I just think that leads to a point where nothing is real anymore. That's why I've never gone along with that. But I think the Wall Street Journal makes a very good point about the gratuitous reporting by the Washington Post. And I do read the Washington Post. And I, and I filter... And I, I read what they say about the president, and I filter it through that. That, yes, they're throwing things in there that probably aren't critical to this news story and could be saved for an opinion piece. My point is, two things can be true at the same time. 219 News Radio WTMJ. 222 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry and for Jeff. So what I'm doing, I'm working through a couple of topics, and I'm going to have a question for you. So I'll, I'll give you time to think about this. We'll start this at 235. So you can think about this. I'm going to talk stock market here next. But at 235, here's a question I'm going to have for you, and you can talk to us or text this in. In fact, you could start now if you want on the texting, but we'll take calls after 235 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Is President Trump winning or losing the shutdown showdown? And explain your answer. Is the president winning or losing the shutdown battle? And explain your answer. We're going to take calls on that after 2.35. Don't call now. But if you wish to get things started, prime the pump, as it were, with some text, you could do that right now at 799, that's 414-799-1620. First, to the stock market, which is trying desperately to mount a bit of a rally here. It's down 232.20. It was down nearly 500 earlier in the day after the single biggest one-day surge, or I should say the one-day surge, yesterday, of over a 1,000 points. President Trump has exclusively blamed Fed Chairman Jerome Powell for allegedly raising interest rates too fast. Others say it is the president himself who is most to blame for the volatility that he has caused. I have a philosophy that virtually nothing in life happens for just one reason. I believe, and this is just an opinion, because everybody has different opinions on this. 
I think especially in the last few days before the big thousand dollar, a thousand dollar, thousand plus point rebound yesterday, before that, the huge drops in the days preceding that, in fact, were mostly President Trump's fault. Not the whole last fourth quarter, not the whole quarter, but those last few days because of his unpredictable behavior, his willingness to disrupt. So it got him elected. Financial markets do not like disruption. They do not like unpredictability. The interest rates that rising were somewhat baked into the cake. Investors saw that coming. They know what Powell's philosophy is. And that's not a shocker. You can still debate that he is being a bit, that the Fed is being a bit aggressive. But that didn't surprise anyone. So this this steep drops, these steep drops in the closing days of 2018, I think just so much of that can be put on Powell. The president is putting it all on Powell. Things got worse when word got out that he was trying to figure out if he could fire Powell. He can't. And by the way, if he could and he did, I, who knows how far. If he had fired Jerome Powell, the Dow would have dropped probably thousands of points, is what would have happened, because investors would just have no idea what would be happening next. Unpredictability, volatility, the unexpected, it might make for good politics, or did in 2016, it makes for rotten financial markets in 2018. Uh, The whole Mattis situation, the sudden withdrawals in Syria and Afghanistan, Those things hurt markets like stability. So in these closing days, the huge drops, I put most of the blame on President Trump and very little of the blame on Jerome Powell. But that's not to say that that, that the rate increases, they're, they're certainly a factor. And it is a very difficult debate. They were so low for so long Is it unrealistic to think you can jack them that high? So that's my take. Again, that's not reality. That's opinion. That's all that is opinion. But I think it's opinion based on pretty strong fact. That the steep drops in the recent days are due to volatility that makes investors nervous. All right, we'll set up the next half hour in a couple of minutes here. 226 News Radio WTMJ. Two thirty-five news radio WTMJ. I don't know why this reminds me, but it does. And I may have mentioned this uh, while I've been sitting in for Jeff, uh, Jerry Bader, by the way, and for Jeff Wagner. Not sure if I did or not, but Netflix's uh, boy, that's hard to say possessively. This new movie by Netflix, The Christmas Chronicles, with Kurt Russell. Uh, to me, it's a new Christmas classic. I really. My wife and I really enjoyed it. We have watched it twice now, once the two of us and and then uh, with one of our kids. It, it's just, it, if, if you missed it, it's a blast. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read you the very latest. This was posted by the Washington Post at 2.29 our time. That would be six minutes ago. The very latest on the shutdown. And then I have already started asking you a question. Who do you think is winning the shutdown 
and explain your answer. Talk or text, Acunet Mortgage, talk or text, talk and text line. Easy for me not to say. 414-799-1620. Here's the latest. Breaking. Congress effectively gave up Thursday on trying to reopen a quarter of the federal government until after the new year as negotiations stalled out among Republican and Democratic leaders. House members were told they would not be expected back for votes this week, and the Senate was expected to follow suit, according to Democratic and Republican aides. That would hand the job of reopening the federal government to Democrats when they take control of the House in January. Congress was expected to convene briefly this afternoon on day six of the shutdown, but then closed for legislative business until new lawmakers are sworn in January 3rd. President Trump did not appear in public today, and leadership offices were shuttered on Capitol Hill amid the standoff on the president's demand for billions of dollars to fund a border wall the Democrats oppose. President Trump on Thursday claimed that most of the people not getting paid in the partial government showdown are Democrats, days after he contended that many federal workers support his call for more border wall funding. Trump made the claim in a morning tweet as the shutdown ended its sixth day with hundreds of thousands of federal workers furloughed without pay amid signs pointing to a prolonged standoff. Have the Democrats finally realized that we desperately need border security and a wall on the southern border, Trump said in a tweet. Need to stop drugs, human trafficking, gang members, and criminals from coming into our country. Do the Dems realize that most of the people not getting paid are Democrats? That Nobody knows where he got that from. So here is the question that I have for you. And I, I'm going to be stubborn here. I don't want to weigh in. Is there an end game? Now this is going to hold over until Democrats have the House of Representatives. I think that if he's thinking that far ahead, that may be part of what is in Donald Trump's, President Trump's thinking here. But I want to hear from you. Again, I don't want to hear about whether you agree or disagree with the wall. This is different. I want to know, who do you think right now has the upper hand, who do you think is winning the PR battle and the political battle during this showdown? President Trump and Republicans or Pelosi, Schumer and the Democrats? 414-799-1620. You can give us a call or text the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. I have a very definitive opinion here. Let me let me say, though, what some of the big criticisms have been. Even some Republicans, a number of Republicans, felt that this was just a knee-jerk move. And, I, and we were talking about the stock market. I forgot this element. It seemed that the president had been resigned to agreeing to sign a bill that would keep the entire government running. That didn't happen in large part because conservative punditry excoriated, mocked the president. He then switched gears. Nope, I'm shutting her down. Ann Coulter says to, Rush Limbaugh says to, Fox and Friends says to, well, I don't want them calling me bad names, so I'm shutting it down. That's that's the narrative that's out there, okay? So it appeared very knee-jerk and didn't appear to have a strategy. 
There still doesn't appear to be a strategy. What's the old expression? Don't take a hostage you aren't prepared to shoot. Well, I don't even know how you shoot this hostage. But that's, uh, people feel that President Trump got himself into something without thinking very far ahead. I, I agree with that perception. But as this is played out, uh, maybe here's another way to put it. Is anybody winning? To Theodore in Milwaukee. Theodore, you're on WTMJ. Wow, what are the odds of me actually getting on the radio? It's very hard to get through when Jeff Wagner's on running the show. Um, yeah, I, I used to like politics. I used to want to be president like every other kid. I'm 37 years old as I get older. I'm seeing, I don't think the people who serve a public office have a clue of what they're doing. I'm not anti-American. I'm not anti-Democrat or Republican. I just find it very disturbing that all these guys are still getting paid serving us, and they're not doing a damn thing about the American people. That's what's important. They're not putting the people who put them in office first. They're putting themselves first. For them to walk away from their job, anybody who walks away from their job is going to get fired. But yet these politicians can do whatever they want. I just don't understand it. I don't think the American well, who, people are paying these guys out of our pockets to do nothing. They need to get off their butts and do their job and serve the American people. I don't. Oh, theater. Who? Who? Are. Theater. 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 Hang on. Who would you like to see step up and be the adult in the room? Who should take charge here and ch- and change this? You mean as far as a politician? Yes. Joe Biden or Cory Booker. Both of them actually give a damn about their their people because Cory Booker allowed people to live in his house. He didn't even know. Joe Biden ran with Obama. Joe Biden was a senator. He was a politician. He actually cares about these people. I didn't care if he's a Republican or a Democrat. I have respect for Paul Ryan. He used to come through the airport where I work at all the time. Ron Johnson, I don't necessarily agree what he says all the time, but... He actually cares. Uh, all right. Theodore, th- thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Let me share some text here. Uh, thanks, Theodore. Let, let me uh, share some text here. Uh, Trump is losing with his big mouth and all his lies. I'm with you. Call him out with all his lies. Uh, well, we'll see what I have to say. doesn't matter who's winning. America is losing, writes another. From the 414, no one is winning the shutdown, especially the federal workers who are furloughed. Uh, let's see. Winning the battle, standing up for a campaign promise that got him elected in the first place, also has exposed how much we actually uh, pay for things of less importance. No reason not to approve in light of other spending. Well, that's why, that's why she agrees with what the president's doing. It's a push on the shutdown right now. The longer it stretches out, Trump will be the clear winner. I find that really interesting. And, and, by the way, I'm not saying I disagree with it. What this person is saying is, the longer it stretches out, the better the chances are that Trump will win, President Trump will win politically. I think there's a theory as to why you can believe that's true. And I'll share it in a couple of minutes. 243 News Radio WTMJ.
246 News Radio WTMJ, Jerry Bader, and for Jeff Wagner. So, who at the moment is winning, losing the shutdown showdown? 414-799-1620. Now, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea how this is going to all play out, how it's going to end. So I want to just throw out some possibilities. Here's what I would say at the moment. I believe President Trump and Republicans are losing at the moment. And there are several reasons for that. One is the stock market, when you look at that. Uh, it's now actually clawed back into positive territory. It was down some 600 points. As it reaches the close, it's up 83 after the big day yesterday, but still in the last week or so, certainly the shutdown and how the president quickly seemingly reversed course when it looked like he was going to go along with a bill to keep the government, all of the government running, he didn't. That compounded with him saying to Nancy Pelosi and to Schumer, look, I would I would be I will take the mantle. I will take responsibility for a shutdown. That was a, a horrible mistake. It was a, a tactical error. So right now, I believe Republicans are being blamed. I believe it is damaging the economy, and I think therefore they're losing. How might that change? And I want to stress might. We had a texter who said the longer this goes, the better it is for President Trump. Maybe. Maybe not. But here's the maybe. So what happens on January 3rd? On January 3rd, for the first time in his presidency, the opposition party has any power. Democrats will take control of the House of Representatives. That gives him now a more formidable foil. And what I mean by that is this. Nancy Pelosi will be Speaker of the House again, which, by the way, I never really thought there was any doubt of that, or very little. When all of these Democrats were lining up, these challengers, I'm not going to support her. I, I suspected that was going to be the case. But anyway, so you have that. And now he can more pointedly say, hey, you know, they've got the House of Representatives. They can get this done. We, I'm going to have the wall. It might work that he can better vilify or demonize Pelosi when she's now in that leadership position. However, here's the reality, though. Contrary to what President Trump says, a majority of Americans do not support the wall. They support some type of increased border security. I support that. I don't think the wall is the answer. But I have said all along, for years and years, we have to fortify the southern border. And, companion piece, we have to make it easier to enter the country legally. Those are the two combined elements to lower illegal immigration. And we've been really unable to do either. So, the reality is, there, while... President Trump and his core supporters see this as a hill to die on. Most Americans don't. Right now, I think the president is losing. I think that could change.
And here's why it could change, because Democrats have a proclivity to overplay their hand. You saw it in the Kavanaugh hearings. Schumer and Pelosi could easily let Trump turn this thing. Or they may play it smarter than they have in the past. I think the odds, and I absolutely could be wrong on this, the odds, though, I think, favor this just not working out well for Republicans. Especially if all right, the market's kind of neutral today after a huge day yesterday. But as this wears on and you have hundreds of thousands of people out of work, and the president insists they're all Democrats, that's because perhaps they're not, but perhaps he expects they're going to start bleeping and moaning about this. So that's his preemptive strike. Well, they're all Democrats anyway. The other day he said a lot of them supported it. Now they're all Democrats. He can keep those shifting stories going for just so long. Stranger things have happened, to be sure. But I think right now the odds are against Republicans. Unless, again, the one, the one ace in the hole that he would have would be as if Democrats just dramatically overplay this, and he'll probably play it into the whole investigation thing that they're going to start almost on day one. All I know is 2019 is going to be an interesting year, and I mean that in the worst way possible. All right. Some final words, and we'll see what John McCure is up to after 3 o'clock. 252 News Radio WTMJ.